Hey, I'm Pastor Dave. Welcome to the Lighthouse. We hope the Lord speaks to you today by his word. God bless. Thanks, man. So uh, again, uh, good morning, Lighthouse family, church family, uh, and also a warm uh, welcome to the friends and family of Andrew Paul Spadzinski and Kina Skepcherikwa Spadzinski. I also wrote it out phonetically. Skepa, not Sepa. Skepcherikwa is what I've been told. And to everyone who is here to witness the dedication of, of Little Magnolia, uh, now before I begin my sermon, I would like to make uh, three quick notes. First of all, I would like to note that I nailed the pronunciation of this Italian-German hodgepodge of letters that I was tasked with uh, pronouncing. It's a lot of consonants, guys. It's a lot of consonants. Skepicherikwasvidzinski. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly uh, the, the, than the first note, I would like to add, if, if I played Kina's last name in Scrabble, I would probably get about a billion points. Now, the third note is I would like to say on behalf of both my wife and I, I don't know where Andrew and Kina ended up um, sitting, but I, I just want to say it is such a blessing for us to be here to witness the dedication of your daughter, not only because we both know you, my wife uh, knows you both better than I do, um, but it's a blessing for us to see this sweet gift and miracle from God being dedicated um, to a, to a life, being dedicated to a life that is, is just enveloped by the love of God. And even more so, it's a blessing to Caitlin and I than everyone else here because with every, with every uh, baby dedication uh, and child that's brought into the church, it seems to satiate Clarence Cole and all the elders' need for new babies to fawn over so they don't have to come and ask Caitlin and I when it'll be our turn. So you guys probably bought us another week or two at, at least. But in all seriousness, each one of us in this house recognizes uh, that, that little Magnolia is a blessing. She's a blessing from God and a miracle. And we as a church body are blessed to see you both stepping up as parents to bring her before the Lord and allow him to work the exact plans that he has for her uh, life. Uh, and, and you picked a, a lovely verse to, to speak over your daughter, and I would just give you a second. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For God has plans to prosper her and to keep her from harm, plans that are for a future and a hope. God has a plan for, for little Magnolia. Now, it's not only an interesting week for me because I have to preach uh, with a, a, the, the same day as a, a baby dedication, but also I'm continuing on in the sermon series that we've been going through the past few weeks on the Holy Spirit, of which this is now part seven already uh, in, this, in the sermon series. It's the Holy Spirit in Acts. Um, and I know under normal circumstances, there are not a lot of parallels uh, between the Holy Spirit in Acts and, and a baby dedication. But let me tell you, congregation, the way that God works in his own timing, in his own planning, is remarkable. He works in mysterious ways. And when I say mysterious, I mean mysterious to us, but never to him. He has a way of working all things together for good that are profound and powerful and beyond intricate, to say the least. Now I'm going to go to the Word, and I'll be reading from Acts 9 today. So if you wanted to join me, uh, you can open your Bibles to Acts 9. And I'm going to say from the outset that definitively there is a connection. There is a profound 
powerful, intricate link between the dedication of, of this newborn baby and the Holy Spirit's first working in the conversion account of Saul, who would become Paul. So let me know when you see this uniquely profound and mysterious connection today. I'll be very impressed if you can find it. Uh, the dedication of the, 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 the link between this dedication of sweet little Magnolia and the events in this passage regarding this figure named Saul, a man who was a Pharisee, a teacher, and a scholar of the law, but at this time was far more known as a persecutor of Christians. This, this Jewish man living in ancient Israel who would experience a life-altering event on the road he took to Damascus one fateful day 2,000 years ago. So this is Acts 9, 1 to 19. You can read along with me. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's persecuting Christians. He would be taking them uh, from these these. Uh, small, tucked-away church, uh, house churches um, that, that they were hiding because at that time uh, it was illegal to be a Christian uh, and they would be persecuted and put to death if they were found following the way. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They had heard a voice, but saw no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So he goes into the city. He's been blinded. He cannot see. His eyes are covered uh, in, in what look like scales, and he can't open his eyes, and he's, he's, he's almost dying. He can't eat. He can't drink. He's just waiting in this city. And now at that same time, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Paul had a reputation. You see, Ananias, this is how Ananias recognized Saul of Tarsus. He said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority uh, from the priest, chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said to Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. The scales immediately fell from his eyes and he could see. He received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So in the, in the span of about three or four days, Saul experiences this life-altering, changing event. One day he's Saul of Tarsus, he's the, the persecutor of Christians. The next day he, he's blinded, he spends three days in Damascus. And so he had lived an entire life of being this man, this Saul of Tarsus, becoming this persecutor of Christians, uh, somebody who would curse uh, under his breath uh, th- these, these believers and anyone who was of the way, wanting them to be put to death. And what is his response to this, this event? From verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. He does a full 180 from hating Christians to preaching the Christ. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem? Has he, and has he come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now I'm going to stop there because you might have missed it. Right? It's a very profound story. You might have missed that little link. Right? In fact, I would be stunned if you didn't miss it, if you did find that little link that I was looking for. Most simply put, it is not something that just links this sweet little innocent child, this sweet baby such as Magnolia, and Saul slash Paul the Apostle. But it's actually something that links each of us to this story as well. In fact, when you hear this account, many of those who read uh, the, the, the account of Paul and uh, Saul's conversion, you'd be far more inclined to relate yourself to Saul and his need for forgiveness in this conversion story. Before we liken ourselves to a, a sweet, innocent child, we're far more likely to see ourselves in Paul, somebody needing to be redeemed, unlike an innocent child. But that is precisely the part that is so incredible about God, and it is something that is so revealing to us about what this chapter is about. Of course, I actually think it's, it's very easy to miss the link between an innocent infant and someone who is so far from innocence, such as Saul, who is not only far from innocent, not only running from God, but is instead described by Jesus himself as the enemy of God, who is persecuting Christ himself. Not only do I think it's easy to miss that link, I actually believe it's easy to miss even the portion of this passage that relates to the Holy Spirit altogether. Because this is a, a, a passage that I'm supposed to be preaching from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's mentioned in this passage only once, and it's kind of in passing. But it's crucial for our understanding today to, uh, of today's message on the Holy Spirit and this transformational plan that God has for his children. In fact, that is the link that I mentioned earlier between Magnolia and Saul, who would be Paul the Apostle. And it's a link that I hope you guys begin to understand for yourself as well. Now, let me be clear. I was being facetious when I asked you to look for this enigmatic link. I certainly don't blame you for missing it. As when I first read the passage, I was strapped for an idea of how I could tie all of these themes together, all of these ideas, these very many things. But as I waited upon the Lord and I meditated 
upon this one command given by God, the only mention of the Holy Spirit, I began to see God's heart in the entirety of the, of the passage. The heart of what he desires for Saul is the same heart that, that he desires for Magnolia, and it's the same heart that he desires for us as well. It comes in God's command to Ananias in verse 17 of what he tells Saul uh, what the Lord had told him. Ananias telling Saul what the Lord had told him in that vision. He said, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me, Ananias, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, I'll, I'll admit, when Pastor Dave assigned me Acts 9 to preach out of the Holy Spirit series, when I first read that, that, this entire passage, I completely missed any mention of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've read this passage many, many times, and not only did I miss out on the profound truth uh, of, of what God was doing in Saul together, I, I, I missed even just the simple mention of, of Ananias saying that, that you would receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've read this story of Saul's conversion many Many times, in fact, I could probably recite it to anyone who asked me to without having to look into the, the, the word. I could tell you basically what the story was about. But I've never noticed in the many times that I've read it, in my, in my understanding of this, this entire passage, that it wasn't just Ananias, Ananias coming to restore Paul's sight, but that he should also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Nathan preached on the Holy Spirit, and he clarified the difference between receiving the purchase of the Holy Spirit, which each of us are given when we give our life over to the Lord, uh, when we accept Jesus' work of salvation for us. And, and he clarified the difference between that purchase and the second subsequent infilling of power, often related with speaking in tongues, which we read about in Acts 2 and, and in other places. This was something that Pastor Dave already spoke upon earlier in this series, and if you missed it, you can go and take, that, take, a, take a look at that. But what I find we often miss uh, in our understanding of the Holy Spirit is that God sends the Holy Spirit for our own edification. The word edification means to be built up. He sends us the Holy Spirit to build us up, to uplift us, to encourage us. And that Holy Spirit which he sends is not just a force, but it is a personal, relational knowable part of our loving triune God. You see, we don't just talk about Jesus Christ, the Son. We don't just talk about God, the Father. There's also this other third figure, the Holy Spirit, which does come with gifts and comes with power, but he's actually described as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the one who walks alongside us in life and builds us up and is our advocate and our encourager, and he gives us that strength for all that we have to do. So when Ananias is told to lay hands on Paul, something that he does out of faith for healing, he's not only being obedient to God's design for healing, right? If you needed healing, you would come to the altar, and what would we do? We would lay hands on. We would anoint with oil, and we would pray for you that you would receive healing. And so Ananias is being faithful to that. But he is perhaps unknowingly also being a faithful plan to a, uh, to, to a faithful part of the greater plan that God has for Saul. He doesn't recognize it. All he knows is he's meant to pray for this, this man, Saul of Tarsus. He doesn't know what's to come and what's to become of him. He's just being obedient. And so now many Christians will tell you that not only does God have a plan for you, 
But every step along the way is a part of God's plan for you. And in some senses, I think I would agree with that. I think I would tend to agree that God has a plan in each and every single thing that, that takes place in our lives. But in a much larger sense, I believe that God's plans for you do not always coincide with the way that we choose to go. You can, you can walk your own way. You can take a path away from the Lord. It says in Scripture that, each, that God desires that each would come to a selfific knowledge and each would be saved. But not everybody is. So does that mean that God's plan for them was to not be saved? I don't think so. That goes against what he just said, that his heart is that each would be saved. You see, we can choose the way that we go. Each of us are given that, that choice. The decision to go the way that the Lord uh, should lead us in, or, or we can blaze our own path. We can go the way the Lord wants us to, or we can blaze our own path, a path that leads away from God. And just as I, I said earlier, Jeremiah 29, 11, we can choose a path that is not for our prospering. We can choose a path that is not free of harm. It says that God has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. But we can choose our own path. We can go the way that, that is away from the Lord, that, that will not be of prosper, uh, prosperity, that will not be uh, free from harm, and it will not be, always be for a future and a hope. What we need to remember is that passage that I recited over Little Magnolia, that God's plans, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, are to prosper you and not to harm you. That his plans are for a future and a hope for you. Not that you should veer for him or persecute him as Saul was. You see, Saul was choosing his own way. I don't think that that's the path that God had for Saul. I don't think that that's what he wanted for him. And so I want to stop the message here for a second. I want to have an intentional moment of reflection. Each of you are here in your seat now, or you might be watching online. Wherever you are in life at this moment, whether you have been on God's path for you, been walking the way that the Lord would have for you, or if you recognize even in this moment as you reflect on your own life that you're going away from God, that you've been running if you have hated God, if you've been burned by the church, whether you're on the mountaintops of life or the valley of despair, whatever path you have been on, God's plan for you, God's plan for you, or the one that you've been taking, the one that you've been making of your, your own uh, making to run from him, you have found yourself at this church on this day for a reason. You see, God's timing will provide you opportunity. God's timing is profound and intricate and powerful, and it's not by mistake. Just like Saul on the road to Damascus, he was taking his own path, but, but as, as he's running from God, as he's not only just running, but persecuting him, as he's, he, Jesus says, you are persecuting me. You are hating me. In his later writing, Saul, who would then be called Paul, says that he, at this time, and, and even in life, he considered himself the chief of all sinners, the worst of the worst. God stopped him dead in his tracks on that road to Damascus in the same way that I've done in this sermon to tell you it's not too late. You're not too far. God loves you. His plan is to redeem every shortcoming, every failure, every mistake, to give you a plan and a path that will lead you to prosperity. I'm not talking about private jets. 
I'm not talking about mega churches. I'm talking about true prosperity. And what does that mean? I'm talking about a life of joy, of blessing, of purpose, of love. What is it? A plan for a future and a hope. And all of this because no matter where you are, that plan for you has never been about where the path started. Whether it was when you were a baby, like little Magnolia, or you find yourself like Paul on on this road to Damascus, stopped where he is. It's not about where the path started, but when when you decide you're ready to go down it. When you're ready to stop going down this other path and pursue the path that God has for you, it doesn't matter when, or it doesn't matter where it starts, but when. You see, this is the link. This is where our sweet little Magnolia comes in. God's plan for that child is magnificent. God's plan for her is is unique to her. And today we have dedicated her to God, that Andrew and Kina as parents and their family and friends and each of us in this congregation are now committed to do everything we can to ensure that, that she will follow this path that God has planned for her. And I can assure you, as innocent as she is now, just like Saul and just like you and just like me and every person to walk this earth, Magnolia is not going to get every single thing right. We don't know the life that she's going to lead, but I can promise you she's going to make a mistake one day. In fact, she'll probably make many. Just like every child, just like you, just like me, each and every single person, she won't be perfect. There may be moments where she even veers from God's plan for her. But just like Saul, and just like you, and just like me, the Holy Spirit is profoundly personal and intentional about ensuring his plan for each and every one, including Saul on this road to Damascus. You see, the Holy Spirit's desire is not just to remove the scales from your eyes, right? So that you can see the reality that he, God, is very real, right? Once the scales have come off, it's hard to, to, to deny. God is real. But that's not his only desire. He doesn't just take those scales off and say, okay, now you know. Do your best. No, he has a plan that he would walk alongside you. You see, that is not all that God desires, to work a miracle to open your eyes. His desire is that you should also be filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Ananias said. To continually walk with God alongside you as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside his desire is that you would know that God, is, is, does, he doesn't just care about your conversion experience, but like Saul, he cares about each and every single day onward. He cares about your path. He cares about your plan. He cares about the purpose that he has instilled for you. You see, it doesn't go in depth in Acts 9 about Paul's experience with the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting. For as much as I, I like word studies and I like uh, delving into the meaning of words, This is actually kind of uh, an interesting one because I think there's a lot more meaning in the lack of words in this place. So in verse 18, it simply says that he was baptized by Ananias. And then in the next verse, it promptly tells us in just as much detail about his baptism that Paul eats food to regain his strength. It's interesting. Why do you think that is? That we would provide so little information about this incredible, important magnificent thing about the baptism that he received. Presumably, it could have been one of of both water and Holy Spirit. The only reason we assume it's the Holy Spirit is because Ananias said that he would be baptized in the Spirit. And so I, I, I assume in this place that it would have been of both water and the Spirit. But why give so little detail? 
I'm telling you it's not by accident that they gave so little detail in this place. It's because God wants to show right from the outset that it wasn't about one experience. It wasn't about one infilling of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about one miracle on the road to Damascus where the scales fell off of his eyes. It was about the plan that he had for Saul. The plan that he had for Paul. And there's a very uh, important distinction between Saul and Paul, which I'll be getting into in a second. His desire is that he would not only receive the power of the Holy Spirit in a moment, and when we look at Paul and the Holy Spirit, we often assume that it's, it's to be given power for the works that he would one day accomplish in his apostolic journey. Anybody who knows anything about Paul is, is that he would become the father of the, the many churches in ancient Israel and the surrounding areas, mostly apostolic. He was mostly a missionary. He would go out and plant churches. And so that's what I assume, and I, I feel like a lot of people assume, was Paul's understanding of the Holy Spirit. But perhaps even more so, right from the time that God blinded Paul, his intention, his plan for, for Paul, was not to, to just give him healing for his physical eyes, but to fill him with this, this uh, powerful, personal, relational element of who he was with the Holy Spirit, the paraclete who would go alongside Paul and so that we could see the man that he would become. God did this so that, to, God did this to help Saul recognize that it wasn't just about knowing who Jesus really was and, he, and who he, that, that Jesus was who he said he was. It was to have Paul, it wasn't just to have Paul stop persecuting Christians that we as Christ's body uh, would, would be able to prosper. It was all because Paul, it was all because God didn't have a plan to let Saul keep being Saul. This is the distinction. God didn't have uh, a plan for Saul. He had a plan for Paul. The life that Saul had been walking in his own way was this infamous, zealous persecutor of Christians. This is who he built himself up to be. He thought that God would be honored in his killing of Christians. It's so corrupt. It's so disturbed. It's, 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 it's wrong. Saul's plan was to show God exactly how serious he was about his faith by having to endure all of these raids on these, these Christian house churches hidden away. I need you to recognize, I need you to realize in this moment, think about the man who Paul was. I need you to recognize that before he was Paul, he was this man named Saul. He, did, he likely didn't take joy in what he was doing. He didn't delight in the persecution of Christians. He did it because he thought he ought to, thought because he thought he was supposed to. It was the path that he thought he was supposed to be on, but it was actually the one of his own choosing. He wasn't delighting. He wasn't prospering. It wasn't a future and a hope that God would have for him. It was the life he thought he was supposed to be living. And no matter how bleak or how gruesome his life was, it was the one he chose, his choice, his plan. But what was God's plan for Saul? Earlier I said God had a plan for Saul. He actually didn't. He didn't have a plan for Saul. Now let me clarify. God had no plan for Saul, this infamous, zealous persecutor of, of Jesus, an enemy of God. No, he had no plan for the man who was named Saul. The name Saul means prayed for. God's plan was for a new man to be born in Saul's place. A man who would instead be named Paul. Paul, the name meaning little one. 
You see, while others saw Saul as this ferocious, wicked man, the enemy of God, the chief of all sinners, a man so far from saving that, that when, when somebody would see him, they would assume there was no saving this man. There's no chance. He hates God. He murmurs under his breath curses towards the way. But that's not how God saw him. That's how Ananias saw him. But how did God see him? He instead saw Paul, meaning little one. He didn't see Saul. He saw a misguided little one whom he loved and he always had from the time he was born. His little one who God would and always would have a plan for. So you ask, why was he Saul in the first place? Why not just start him out as Paul? Because God gives us the free will. He gives us the choice to pick our own path. He gives us the free will to choose him and to walk the path. That choice is ours. But what does, what do, what does that mean, that God had no plan to redeem Saul? No, even from the time that Saul was born, we see through the course of history, that through the course of his life, that his naming was actually pretty apt. Saul, the one who would be prayed for. He was not born Paul, although he was always God's little one. As we see his life transpired, it was as though he was meant to be named Saul. Saul meaning prayed for, so that one day he would be prayed for. And who was it who would pray for him? Ananias. You see, God's timing is unique. His plan is perfect. His plans are profoundly, powerfully, intricately designed exactly for each one of us. Now, do I think that God's desire was that Saul would grow up to be Christ's persecutor? No. I don't think Paul's plan was, was, or God's plan for Paul was ever to suffer a life of empty law-keeping and the persecuting of innocent people. You see, that doesn't line up with Jeremiah 29.11. I'm going to read that, that passage, Jeremiah 29.11, but I'm actually going to read it in its full context. You see, this passage in Jeremiah was written to exiled Jews. It actually wasn't written to Paul. It wasn't written to you or me. It was written for the context of people who had been exiled from Jerusalem into Babylon. But God told him in Jeremiah 29, told them that in Jeremiah 29, that he was going to deliver them. And so I'm going to read this twice, this passage. The first time I'm going to read it as a letter to the exiles so that you understand the context. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. You see, God had plans for his people no matter where they were no matter what path they were on, no matter how far they had veered from God's plan for Israel, which was to be his chosen people, his beloved people, he promised he would always redeem those who call upon him. When you pray to him that he would listen and that he would find them wherever they had run to and bring them back from that captivity that they were in. Now I'm going to read this passage one more time. And this time I'm not going to read it as a, a letter to the exiles. I'm going to read it as a letter to Paul, who had once been in his infancy God's little one, who God had great things planned for. And when he had grown up, he, he, he veered from that path of, 
of being Paul to becoming this man, Saul of Tarsus. He had, gone, he had gone so far from him. He had run. He was exiled from this plan that God had, and he was trapped being this other man. He was captive to his flesh, to his own being, to his own plan, to his own choices. He was being held captive by this man that he thought he had to be. And what does God say to him? I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, Paul, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. Now, if perhaps you are hearing this message and, and you find yourself in a place similar to Saul, where you've been running from God, or perhaps you consider yourself an enemy to God because you have sinned, because you are in your own shortcoming, your own failures, because you've made mistakes, because you have cast aside his plans for you, because you have cast aside his love for you, or perhaps you're not so far gone, perhaps you're not all the way into being that, that Saul of Tarsus, but if you're in this place and you have accepted God into your life, but you're still caught up in sin, if you're stagnant or lukewarm in your faith, if you're not dedicated to him or allowing him to be Lord of your life, or perhaps I'm, I'm going even too far. Perhaps you're a lot closer to the Magnolia side of the spectrum of, of, of innocence. And you, you have decided that God would be your savior. But you recognize you might still not be heeding the Holy Spirit and his plan for your life. You're not going the way that God, that God is leading you. You're trying to find it, but you're not on it. I want you to reflect on this passage in Jeremiah 29, 11, that it's not just a passage to the exiles in Babylon. It's not just a, a, a letter or, or something said to Paul, but it's something that is being said to you today as well. I want you to reflect on that passage in Jeremiah 29, 11, that if you call on his name, that you, he is faithful to save you, to hear you, to listen to you, and to give you a plan to prosper you, a path which is for your future and your hope. No matter where you land on that, that spectrum between little sweet Magnolia, an innocent baby, or Saul of Tarsus, recognize that each of us have a need for God. Each of us have a need to have the Holy Spirit in our own life, walking alongside us, guiding us, leading us on this path that he has for us. No matter where you are on that, that spectrum, from innocent to chief of all sinners, or somewhere in between, here's the good news that I have for you. Here is the link. Here is the link that I had found that, that God illuminated in this passage, stated plain and simple. No matter how far you have gone, no matter how far gone you are, Jesus tr desires to treat us all as clean, new, pure, innocent, infant children. That he, we would become children of the living God. And it's all because of his sacrifice for you on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And much like Paul on the road to Damascus, you found yourself here today. Stopped in your track. No matter where you've been on your path, this is a moment that, that God has stopped 
take the scales off of your eyes and recognize your need for him. God doesn't care about where you found yourself on, your day, on this day. He cares about the plan he has for you. He cares that you would become like Paul, his little one. To overcome the mistakes you've made when you've tried to do things in your own strength, in your own way, in your own stubbornness, on your own path, your failures, your shortcomings, all forgiven. If you would simply go to him in prayer and call upon his name to be saved, just as he says in Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to close today's sermon with, with something we often do here at the church, which is the sinner's prayer. This is an opportunity for you to find yourself like Paul, stopped in your tracks, recognizing your need to, to call out to God, to be delivered from the captivity you've been living in, the path you've been on, recognizing that I want a life of, of future and hope, one of prosperity, one that, that, that God will keep me from all harm, that you would make him Lord of your life, asking for the forgiveness of your sins and that he would walk with you. We call it the sinner's prayer. And so I'm going to pray it in a second. I'll have the worship team uh, maybe come back up. As I pray, I want each and every single one to pray along with me. Uh, whether you've been saved for, for uh, your entire life or, or not, just, just say it out loud along with me and along with the people who are making this proclamation for the first time that they'd feel comfortable to pray uh, this prayer out loud. Repeat after me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner. I believe Jesus was my substitute when he died on the cross. I believe his shed blood, his death, and resurrection were for me. I now receive him as my savior. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins, the gift of salvation, and everlasting life. Help me, from that, help me that from this day forth, I may lead a life that honors you and make you Lord of my life and follow the path you have for me. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the sermon. We really hope that God spoke to your life.